Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your professional life or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. In a world where mental health is so often overlooked, today's guest stands out as a force of empowerment. With a mission to raise awareness about the warning signs and the importance of seeking help, she is dedicated to fostering understanding and action in suicide prevention. Her story serves as a beacon of resilience, offering hope even in the darkest moments. With an impressive 26-year career in law enforcement, including a role as special agent in charge, today's guest brings a unique perspective to her work. Her experience as a military police officer in the Massachusetts Army National Guard Rising to the rank of sergeant has honed her skills in leadership and strategic thinking. State certified as an emergency medical technician for 24 years, she possesses a deep understanding of public safety and well-being. Her commitment to making a difference goes beyond her professional journey. Having battled PTSD, trauma, suicide, she knows firsthand the challenges individuals face and is dedicated to supporting their resilience. Her master's in public administration with a concentration in homeland security further enhances her expertise across the board. Her unique blend of empathy and empowerment, creating a safe space for individuals to share their struggles and seek help. Her approach is rooted in promoting mental well-being, resilience, inspiring others to overcome obstacles and to thrive. Welcome, Nicole Ferry. Thank you, Kathy. It's great to be here. I am so excited to have you and to talk to you. It's such an important thing that you do and the focus that you spend, um, that you've you know, built up through your own journey and having moved through it and managing it, because we all know that it's, it's not something, mental health is something that we work on every day. It's not something that we put behind us or, or get over, so to speak. And I, you know, that was the highlights. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, what you, what you're doing today? So today I am uh, medically retired as the special agent in charge um, from my role as a police officer. And so I travel doing public speaking engagements and training about mental health, wellness, resiliency, and being very vulnerable and being able to tell my story as an executive police leader about my struggles with mental health, with PTSD, with major depressive disorder, with general anxiety, which came with panic attacks. And so I speak about that. I do trainings about that. But I, I think the most important piece that I'm doing today is really telling about my journey and giving people an inside look on what that looks like to hope that they can see themselves or someone close to them and so that they can get the help that that maybe they need or someone close to them needs and, and be able to start to heal and find hope. Um, I think that is, is some of, of what I've learned the most is, is that it is a very lonely place to suffer um, mentally. And you think you're by yourself and you think you, you can't do it. And there is so much help out there if you're willing to make the step or make an uncomfortable um, question of like, how are you doing? And, and, really digging deeper into, no, really, how, how, how are you doing? I'm not looking for the, I'm good. Right. I'm all right. You know, um, how are you really doing? And it's such an important thing. And I mean, you've, 
you've come up through one of the most difficult careers and, you know, the world around you thanks you for your contribution because, you know, you spent 26 years making the world a safer place and then with the medical work and whatnot. And we're going to dig into that. But first, as I do with all my, my, uh, audio, my guests, um, I'd love to dig into those four core questions and then uh, we'll dig more into the, the important work that you're doing today. Absolutely. So what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? So I grew up in a house um, of two entrepreneurs. Both my parents um, were creative um, and owned their own businesses. But I remember having like this feeling, this calling to serve. So it was always in, in the role of service. And so I'm not sure what that capacity at such a young age was. I knew it would be police. Um, military or or fire. I can remember being about 16 and seeing um, an ad in the newspaper for the local ambulance squad that needed EMTs. And, and I remember I was 16 and I called and asked if I could um, get the training to become an EMT. And I remember them telling me, no, um, you have to be at least 18. And so I didn't know anybody who was an EMT. I didn't know anybody who was um, worked for the fire department or volunteered for the fire department, but I did have this calling, this draw to, to serve others. And quite frankly, right after that, um, so that was at 16, at 17, I joined um, the Army National Guard my senior year in high school, um, midway through, actually December 23rd. So we're coming up on an anniversary. Wow. And yeah, and so that was an interesting, still being in high school and starting to drill with the National Guard um, one weekend a month before I went to, to boot camp. And so being a high school student, having a job, doing sports and being a part of the military was interesting, but I always had a draw to, to serve um, my community or my country in, in some way. Clearly. I mean, that is, I've, I've heard others say that it, it truly is a calling. It is something that you feel deeply uh, and it's got to be because it's such a major commitment. It's, it's not something you do because um, you think it might be cool. So uh, that's very cool that it was something that you felt from early on. Who was the first big influencer on your life that you remember? So I'd have to say that was my dad. My dad was an iron worker. It was a family business, but he was the the put your head down and work harder um, kind of individual. He had a lot of grit. He had a lot of determination and would instill upon myself and my sister, you know, this, this I can do anything if I just put my head down and work harder, get more training. Um, and so that is where my my large influence to do so many things that most of the people um, my age were not doing at that time, you know, so it wasn't, you know, trying to join the volunteer fire department as an EMT or, a, you know, joining the military at 17. Um, there wasn't a lot of things that I didn't think that I could at least try. I joined the, the wrestling team um, for a couple practices, um, the boys wrestling team in high school, just to see if that was something that I, I thought would be interesting. Um, I ended up not, not caring for it, but my dad was a big influence on, on showing me that 
you could do just about anything if you put your head down and worked harder than the person next to you. I love that. I would have, I would, I, it's too bad, you know, phones weren't thing because getting a picture of the coach's face <laughs> when you walked in the door and the rest of the boys, Absolutely. like, oh crap, especially teenage boys, like they must have been freaking out. Yeah, it, that was a lesson in, um, it was just an interesting time, right? Um, there are so many female wrestlers out there right now mm -hmm. in the high school arena, which I think is great. There wasn't, you know, um, in, you know, 93, 94. Right. And so it was a, it was a certainly an odd um, thing for a female to come in and say they wanted to, to see what this was about. And there were a lot of um, male wrestlers that were uncomfortable even practicing. And that's what I, I said, you know, like, this just isn't for me. Right. Um, and that was about the same time as I signed, you know, um, signed with the military. So there were other things that um, took my focus away. Right. Is there a song that epitomizes, I'll say your life really, because this, the grit, the determination, this drive to serve was so early on. It, it's not just about your career. It's, you know, has there been a song that either, you know, you associate with how you feel or what you do, maybe one that you're, you're sort of tuning into now. This is another really interesting question because music is such a large part of my life and I have such an eclectic, um, everything from classical I'm, I'm listening to, to cello stuff right now, which okay. is very interesting. Um, another thing is, is I lay love to dance, um, which is a, another bizarre thing. Um, that people wouldn't really think about me if, if you knew me on my, my work side. Okay. Um, but right now it is rescue from, from Lauren Daigle. And that is essentially what I thought my career was up until the last year that, um, that I will send out an army to find you in the darkest times of night and I will rescue you. Until I went, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, until I went to treatment for PTSD um, after the suicide of my, um, my agent that worked for me, it was about others, rescuing others. Never did I turn the mirror around and look at myself. And since, um, and since going to treatment for mental health and, and trauma, really learned that that song turns around and it it's about rescuing myself and sending out my own armies who find me in the in the darkest part of the night and that I can quite literally rescue myself which turns around and makes me more capable of a person to help others not rescue others but help others wow i got i'm not familiar with the song but i'm very yeah. eager now to uh to yeah listen to it and and really listen to the words so that must have been so revel revelatory for you and and we will absolutely dig into that but one more question sure. what are three words you would use to describe you and or your career service caring and creativity those are the three words service has been a part of of my dna since as we talked about very very young um i don't think there's ever been a piece of my life, a career thing that I wasn't in the service of something mm -hmm. or someone. 
Um, caring, I am very loyal, very caring. I, I am very considerate of people. I want to make sure that they're um, cared for and that's, that's a large um, piece of my life. And then the creativity. I realize that my parents have given me extremely creative upbringing and some of my darkest times I had lacked some of that creativity. And so whether that was um, dancing or creating art projects at home or um, different innovations, even, I mean, you can't see this at home, but, but Kathy can see the, the post-it notes and the, yep. the ideation that's happening, that piece of creativity um, when at my darkest, if I don't have that, like I'm missing that, then I need to go back to, to some of that. So service, caring, service, caring, and creativity. And it's, you know, those three words are, are, are not three you typically put together. So Mm -hmm. I, I truly, as you were talking about the creativity and how it's become a touchstone for you, where it's it's where it anchors you and that that was instilled and in maybe asleep for a while um and that you've awoken that side of you and how much it helps and it just talks to the depth of how there are certain things that are instilled within us that when we lean into them you know we realize that it it really is a part of who we are and and that's what helps us propel us forward so I mean, you have been through such a journey and um, in service of your community and your nation and the people around you, the experiences you've been through. So tell us a little bit more about what that journey has been like for you. Yeah, so I I did an eight-year tour with with the Army National Guard, and while I was doing that, I I became a local municipal police officer. And um, during that, I, I held positions of patrol. Um, I was a sexual assault investigator for um, children and, and elderly for 10 years. Um, I was a sergeant and also an acting chief with them and moved on to the railroad, um, which is pri- uh, private policing um, for one of the class one railroads um, on the East Coast. Did a bunch of um, different jobs for them, special agent. I was a technical special agent with them as well. And so I worked for a specialized crime unit. A lot of people don't know about railroad police departments. And so they're in charge of the policing of railroad property. And so usually that's anywhere from 50 to 100, maybe even miles long um, at different lengths. And so they're in charge of the policing of that. And so that could be theft. Um, that could be an infrastructure, bridges, the protection of infrastructure, um, protection of some of the product that's coming through there. So if that might be nuclear waste or um, some kind of hazmat or high value um, loads. And after the specialized crime unit, I went and got promoted to special agent in charge. And I was in charge of 10 states and one province of Canada. And um, I had policed a team that, um, that, that policed that area. And so while I was there, I was also a military liaison. I started that um, to help our agents that were still in the military to be able to go on deployment and, and be able to take care of their families and handle their stuff. 
Um, I was the commander of the honor guard, um, so which would deal with ceremonies, funerals. That uh, piece we'll get into in a minute, but the honor guard was the hardest job that I had ever done um, throughout my police department career because of the death of one of my own agents. Um, Senior Special Agent Joe Gisoldi died of suicide on duty um, May 11th, 2022. And not only was I um, his direct leader, but I was in charge of his funeral procession. And so um, this is where I start to um, really take a look at the mental health and wellness of not only my agents, um, but ended up coming down into my own mental health and wellness. At that department, I also uh, did some human trafficking work and set up, um, helped launch the, the company's human trafficking program. And so the One Railroad runs in 28 states east of the Mississippi. And so started to train in awareness um, about human trafficking and how um, the 20,000 employees that, that worked for the railroad um, for this particular company could identify victims of human trafficking and how to go about uh, reporting and recording that. Um, but as I said, that the, the most pivotal thing was the, the suicide of one of my agents and the subsequent um, fallout from that, he had done that in front of his partner. And so not only do we have a family that is ripped apart by, by a death, but we have a partner who witnessed it and their family and then the department um, as a whole. And so I did all kinds of things to try to get um, – the partner help and into into treatment and and um, I went to treatment as well and so I was in uh, a trauma treatment facility in California that does just first responder um, treatment and I stayed there for four and a half months where I learned everything from self self care um, neurofeedback biofeedback individual therapy, group therapy. They had um, yoga and meditation and a gym and equine therapy. It was an interesting experience to be a leader in a position that needed help. And I didn't know anyone that had gone um, to treatment. I didn't know anyone who talked about treatment. And so spent four and a half months there, came back and went to work and decided that I, um, through my psychiatrist and my therapist, that it, it was just, uh, it was too much. My, my symptoms were worsening and they took me back out of work, which led to my, uh, my medical uh, release. So that is so much to process. So I would love to un un unpack that a little bit. So you talk about, and it, it, you know, I, the, the defining moment clearly mm -hmm. for you was that act of suicide and right. the, the fallout, 
I can't think of another way of putting it mm -hmm. that came from that, right? So you instantly go into protector mode and the agent that that died his mm -hmm. partner's partner and then that family at what point when was it that you realized that you too were deeply traumatized by this like what was what was that did you wake up one morning and you know, not be able to get out of bed? Was it through helping the other, um, through that his partner get treatment and all the things you heard and read? Was it like uh, sounding bells? Like, how did you, how do you, how do you go from I'm fine and I can handle this to no, I really can't? Yeah, that's a great question as well, because I was halfway through treatment before I even realized I needed help. Right. So I, I, I'm starting to show signs and symptoms of things that are very classic of, of PTSD. I cannot sleep. I have nightmares. So my sleep is very disrupted. My eating schedule is very disruptive. I have emotional swings back and forth. I can be very happy and then very sad or even have, have rage. Um, I'm very outspoken at work and but I had become insubordinate and so there were some some real points throughout this this couple months from the suicide to when I go into treatment that someone should have said hey we need to um we need to look at you know what's going on with Nicole we need to ask some questions of like hey what's going on um I did have some of those questions um you know, I had some of those conversations with some higher ranking individuals. Um, nothing was was done about it, but it was continuing in the service. Like I kept pushing it down. These people needed a leader. These people needed help. And so I dissociated and just did more at work. If I did more at work, then I could save more people. I could rescue more people as we go back to to my song. Um and so I really dissociated. So there wasn't any real bells. When I went to treatment in California, which I live in Massachusetts, so I, I couldn't have gone any farther away to treatment. It was to show the partner that it was okay to go to treatment. And so that was almost lying. It was definitely lying to myself. I needed to be in treatment, but I had um I had really thought to myself like if I show him as a good leader a good leader would go to treatment a good leader would show you what you need to do and that's what I did I, I, I went there and I tried to lead myself through um treatment I I really didn't understand how to shed those layers back of trauma to really get to my thing and so it took a little bit of time so initially it was 30 days I was supposed to be there and it went from 30 days to 60 days, 60 turned into 90 and 90 turned into 142 days. And actually today is my one year anniversary of being out of treatment. Wow. Well, congratulations. And thank you for sharing it with me. Yeah, absolutely. I think by sharing it and being vulnerable about it, 
tells people what it looks like. It also gives permission for people to ask questions. And when I have been vulnerable enough to tell my story to people, the amount of questions and the ability to say like, hey, maybe you should talk to this person or I know a person that does that and be able to um, provide them in the right direction to get um, some help. And that has been, I have helped more people in the last year being out of treatment than I think that I ever did um, on the job in a uniform. And so that has been a different, um, different feeling of, of purpose and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been completely, my service is different now. So tell me more about that. So you, you it's a beautiful segue, the, the, the different feeling of purpose and your service looks different. How is it different? Like what is, what is getting you up in the morning? What are some of the challenges? And I suspect that there's some significant changes in compromises that you now have to make in order to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. Yes. And so I actually teach a class uh, that I call self-care is community care. And I believe that if you spent more time on self-care and that's not bubble baths and massages, right? That is, um, that is maybe sleep hygiene or nutrition or, um, spending time with others or spending time by yourself, depending on what really gives you energy. And so um, I really believe that the more that you take care of yourself, the more that you can show up for people in the community. And so the more self-care that I do, I find that I have the ability to be calm, that I have better clarity, which provides me better c- connection with people. And by having calm, clarity, and connection, I'm able to help more people. So my purpose is different, and my day looks very different because my day consists of of meditating um, for for at least 20 minutes a day. It involves some kind of physical activity. It involves journaling. It involves um, making sure that I have a social contact sometime in the day, that, that it is not just a text message, but I'm on the phone making a social connection with another human being. And it's not just a check-in, like, hey, how are you doing? Like, tell me something good. Um, there's some kind of social connection there. I also make sure that I eat, like I, and I keep all of this in the journal. Um, very much at my sickest, I stopped eating um, I stopped cooking and I stopped cleaning. And so my husband was taking on all of those tasks. But when you add that with not sleeping and having the nightmares, like you just feel so crummy. Um, and by logging that, I can keep track of, of it to make sure that I'm not going more than a day without eating or, or something like that. So my self-care is is very rudimentary like very rudimentary but it is a boundary and so i make sure that those things get done every single day and that allows me to be a better mother a better um wife a better daughter and sister and friend i'm a lot like i can contribute more to society the healthier i am right where when i was running around crazy trying to help everyone else i I was just, I was just running around setting other fires. I, I really wasn't calm. 
there wasn't any clarity and I thought that there was connection, but it was very, um, it was very surface level. It mm -hmm. was not anything deep. It was not, um, it didn't resonate. Right. It was just skin deep. Um, and so now I, I have the boundaries. I do the self care and I have found that my ability to connect has saved more lives in the, like, it is almost like the poem um, about the starfish where the, the little kid is throwing the starfish back in the ocean as, you know, like as many as he can. And, and the guy comes back and is like, it doesn't matter. You know, like you're never going to be able to save them all. And the little kid's like, well, it mattered to that one. Right. It mattered to that one. So now um, I'm not running around setting little tiny fires everywhere. I'm, I'm really helping the people at a, at a very deep level. And that has been, um, it has impacted um, those, those people so greatly from what I've heard. I love that starfish analogy. I'd never heard that story before. And I imagine, and I could just continue talking to you about this forever. <laughs> uh, you know, what for you, do you look forward? Do you stay more anchored in the today? Like how, how does, how do you move from being so much outwardly focused to starting with yourself and what is what how does that impact your your perspective of a day-to-day -day? is it a you you stay in today and tomorrow is going to take care of itself do you still look forward like how has that changed for you so that's a moving target as you okay. said um in the beginning in the opening that um there's not a pill that you can take to to you know, cure yourself of, of mental health. And, and um, it is, it's a moving target and it, it has to be worked on every day. And sometimes it is the brain has very dug in neural pathways and wants to do what we, we've always done. And so that is worry about what's coming down, you know, like have anxiety about what's coming down the pipe. And then the depression of like, hey, I should have done that stuff. Um, better, right? Um, and to analyze what happened in the past. And so it is a daily fight, um, if not an hourly fight of, of staying present. And so working on that mindfulness of staying present is something that I'm doing through meditation, um, through working with a therapist. And that's, that's a day-to-day -day thing for me to make sure that I am consciously doing that on a daily basis to dig those narrow, uh, those neural pathways in deeper. Um, so it's, it, it's, it's not like, Hey, you can just decide tomorrow that tomorrow I'm going to be present. I'm not going to worry about the things. Um, it, it isn't for me. It, it very well could be for other people, but I'm <laughs> not sure. Um, I'm, I'm not a doctor or a neurologist, but those, those neural pathways of, of worrying about, past and present are, are dug in so, so deep. And so the mindfulness every day helps keep you in the present moment and helps be able to alert yourself or become aware of, 
like, hey, you're starting to, you know, somewhat panic about what's going on two weeks from now or what's, you know, what's going to happen next summer when, you know, all these things line up that way. To bring yourself to your body, like, the only thing that matters is right now, like, and, um, and gives you those, you know, mindfulness gives you some of those tools to, to do that through breathing or movement, um, things like that. Excellent. Uh, Nicole, this has been so enlightening and inspiring and just thank you so much for sharing your story and, and being vulnerable and hopefully helping others realize, you know, every little bit helps and little steps we can take forward. It's not an all or nothing. And it isn't, it is a lifetime journey. You've, you've, I've taken away so much, but for our listeners, maybe particularly the women in our audience, what would be your best piece of advice um, moving forward? So moving forward, when people are talking about self-care, um, it is there is a misnomer that that is a bubble bath and a massage or a girl's trip to the city or whatever that is. And it is not. Self-care is not selfish. It actually makes you a better fill in the blank, right? So if you want a title like being having self-care boundaries will make you a better everything, a better mother, a better wife, a better partner, a better daughter, fill in the blank. And so I learned that very much the hard way, right? And so moving forward, I, I incorporate this in with my family. I, I have a 10 year old daughter and a 21 year old son and my son is, is off doing 20-year-old son, son things, and, and he's out in the world. But my daughter, who's 10, um, has, has lived without me for four and a half months while I went to a trauma treatment facility. And so when mom came back, we had a different dynamic. And so now we do things like meditate together, or we look for glimmers many people will say, oh, that's a trigger of mine, or I don't want to do that. That's a trigger. This is triggering. This is tr-. We look for glimmers. And so glimmers are a moment where you are struck by something and you are like, huh, that was really beautiful. Or that was like, I want to remember that little moment in time. And so we do at dinner, like, hey, did you have any glimmers today? And the glimmer would be, instead of seeing something negative like a trigger, did you see something positive? Did you see someone help another? Did you, you know, um, did you see something funny today that made you just smile? Like those kinds of things. And so she has started to meditate. She has started, now it's not perfect. You know, she can't sit for very long, but we, <laughs> we tailor it. We tailor it. Um, I mean, I tailor it to, to make sure that she can, she can do it. And, and when she's done, she gets up. Um, and, helping her and me it it helps me accountable because she said mom we didn't do this yet um and so I help her do the work so hopefully she can grow up believing self-care is important and that will empower her to do whatever she can do but take care of herself first Mm -hmm. and then um it keeps me accountable to making sure that I'm doing the journaling I'm doing the work right and so It's almost like the the airplanes, or not almost, it is, put your mask on, 
so that you can help other people. So put your mask on first. Oh, I the love that analogy. Tell you, put your put your mask on first before you help children and the elderly. Yep. Because if you don't get the oxygen, you can't be any help to anyone else. And so this is very much the same thing. When you take care of yourself, you can take care of the people around you. And so self-care ends up being community care. And the more that we do that and the more that we talk about it, you know, like it being mental health, like, hey, I'm having a good day. I'm having a bad day. And bad days don't mean that you need to go to treatment. Bad day, you know, like everybody has those those peaks and valleys. That is normal, just riding the wave. But when the, the wave becomes flat or high for too long, that you reach out to somebody. Or that if you see somebody that is having an extremely tough time and they're not acting the same, it's like, hey, can like what's going on? And not allowing the close people to say, I'm good. I'm all right to really dig in and and ask them like, Hey, do you need some help? I love the analogy of, you know, put your mask on first. That is bang on, you know, you have to, you have to do that first in order for you to help the people beside you. And the recognition, again, another great analogy about, you know, everybody has waves of feelings, right? Mm -hmm. There's good days, there's bad days. Sometimes we have a couple of them in a row or whatnot, but it's when that wave stays really high or not at all that we need to recognize it and change. So again, I could just keep talking to you for, for Mm -hmm. hours here. This is just, this is just so enlightening. So I know you're, you're doing a lot of speaking and training. Where mm-hmm. can our audience find you to, you know, connect with you and learn more about your journey? Absolutely. So I can be found on LinkedIn. It's Nicole-Ferry-MPA. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a website, NicoleFerry.com. I'll be speaking twice at the FBI in Quantico, Virginia. Woo! And yeah. February, yep. I'm going to be the guest speaker at the Survive First Foundations Gala. Wow. Good for you. <laughs> Thanks. We have a few, um, I, I have a few speaking engagements at the local uh, university here um, that is, is in line with registered nurses and, and physical therapists as well. So important. Nicole, thank you so much for today's conversation. So honest, authentic, and honestly, so inspiring. Uh, it just, it, it gives me pause and reflection. And it's something that uh, I know, like many people, I try and stay on top of, but you know, it doesn't always work. So these kind of conversations are super helpful. And to my audience, thank you for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you enjoyed your con- my conversation with Nicole and hearing about how self-care, particularly care of our own mental health is essential to our well-being and our ability to fill all of our roles, both personal and professional. And remember, we have to put our masks on first before we can do all the other things. If you're keen to hear other uh, amazing stories from other amazing women, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net and listen to some of the other episodes. You can also sign up for our email list and check out the links and the resources in our show notes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. You have been broken, your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your rest.
There is no distance